This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 150, The Hardest Speech You'll Ever Give. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for, for tuning in. For four months, there was no Toastcaster. Now, I know some of you have checked in on me. Some of you have wondered that perhaps after 15 years, we'd gone off the air permanently. Now, I know I made a commitment to do two episodes a month here for Toastcaster and two episodes a month for the Toastmasters podcast. The truth is I found myself struggling. While I always put my heart and soul into every episode, something I learned from my dad that things worth doing were worth doing right, I just couldn't focus. My good friend and author, Ernie Zielinski, of course, he has a slightly different take on things. He has a philosophy and he once told me, he says, Greg, he says, do it badly, but at least do it. And I usually listen to my good friend's sage advice, but at this time, I I really couldn't. Sorry, Ernie. I was feeling a roller coaster of emotions, the likes of which I've never experienced before in my life. Now, some of you may already be aware, some of you may not be aware, but not long ago, I had to say a final farewell to Elaine Barham, my best friend, my love, my wife, the sunshine of my life, who recently passed away from complications from cancer, and I miss her. And for those of you who knew her, and again, those of you who reached out, thank you for your continued support and understanding. Now, I can't, I can't really say that things are really back to normal. Truth is, I have no idea what my new normal is. Now, I will promise to you to do my best to get back on a schedule. Honestly, I still have a long way to go to figure out what is my new normal. But I will say that I am taking a step forward. So today's episode. Besides sharing a little bit about what was going on with me, I thought that maybe there might be a takeaway or two from hearing about my experience, especially about my difficult time, but also about that difficult subject that I had to speak on to put together that eulogy for Elaine, my farewell for Elaine. I thought I'd also take a moment to share a little bit of my thought process, how I prepared a few things, what I had said, and a little bit about the delivery. Because in all of our episodes, I want to make sure that there's something that we can share. There's some value that I could add that you can take away and use perhaps somewhere else. This was the hardest speech of my life. Now for you, the hardest speech in your life could be the first one you've ever given. It could be one that you might give at a wedding or a conference. Maybe it's for a client or perhaps some other event. And again, what I'm sharing with you, I'm hoping that you'll find something of value that you can take away when you come to a point where you need to give the hardest speech of your life. Now, what I'll also do is at the end, you're going to find a complete audio of the eulogy in case you decide that you want to give it a listen and hear how it was actually delivered. And if you do listen to it, I am certainly interested in hearing what you think. Now, at that time, I really wanted to think positive and I was really hoping for miracles. And sad as it had seemed at that time, I knew that the time would come. Now, I'm one who easily forgets, so I thought, you know what, I better start jotting down some notes. I jotted down some random thoughts that were going through my head, 
Some made absolute sense, others just jumbled once I went back and had a look at them. I try to make some bullet points, sort of highlighting some of the stories that perhaps involved Elaine, were about Elaine, or said about Elaine, because I know if I'm put on the spot to recount some kind of story or tell me a story about a time, even with my Toastmasters experience, I'm sometimes just overwhelmed. Sometimes there's options that are just too hard to choose from, and then sometimes, how often has it happened to you where you've just drawn a blank? And of course, with this emotionally charged situation, it made the whole thing even harder. I made notes on the people I had spoken to over the past month, friends, family, healthcare staff, even some of the people I met in line to get coffee at the hospital. I really wanted to make sure that although I could say anything, she was my wife, this is her funeral, I'd have the floor, but I really didn't want to just ramble on for minutes on end. And I've heard eulogies where people have done that and no disrespect to them, they're feeling a lot of grief and they're not just able to handle it. But I really wanted to find some sort of thread that I could weave through the entire eulogy to make sure that people who were attending, and there were only a few in person and all the other ones on Zoom, that they walked away with something that they could hold on to some cherished memory that would perhaps leave them with a smile, have them think about Elaine, and maybe even learn something new that they didn't know about her. The other thing I did is I also checked in with the others who would be speaking. So as best as possible, just to make sure that we didn't have duplication, because, you know, the last thing you want is the identical story from two different people. And even though I had a head start, and this I actually reiterated as part of my eulogy, I pretty much laid awake most of the night before. I was just trying to make sense of this all, right? Trying to figure out, okay, what exactly am I going to say the next day? I pretty much stared at the ceiling, but at the same time, I was trying to do a little brainstorming. So running through my mental notes in the middle of the night, I actually had an epiphany. I had realized that Elaine had touched many lives. And because I had had these conversations with people, I discovered that some of these people didn't actually even know each other. And this was a big surprise because even two of her best friends, two of her co-workers that worked at the same company, didn't know each other because Elaine was a private person. But Elaine and all the stories was the common thread that made up all the pieces of the puzzle. Now, in our lives, we had completed phase one of two phases of our home reno. We finished that just under two years ago, in fact, while she was having her treatments. Then COVID came along and the last 25% just never happened. And I know that Elaine wanted to have everyone over. I know that she wanted to have an open house. So I thought, why not give Elaine and all of you, people in attendance, that gift of the open house that she always wanted to have, of course, once the renovations were done. So some of the things that I talked about, I shared, of course, how we met. And again, you can hear that in the eulogy. I added a little humor to break the ice because I know sometimes humor is hard, especially in challenging times, but I thought humor was appropriate. I shared that Elaine had a twin. Now, of course, the eyebrows quickly went up because everyone is wondering, who is this twin? We never knew she had a twin. And then I mentioned the movie Twins. You know that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is sort of big, six foot something and big and stocky. And then, of course, Danny DeVito, 
who's this sort of little guy. Remember that movie? If not, look, check it out on YouTube. Now, it turns out that my brother is, in fact, a foot taller than Elaine and much stockier, but their birthdays happen to be the same day. So for the longest time, they called each other twins. So I thought that had a good chuckle. It was a nice, nice little twist. I shared some of her hobbies and her interests, her love for shopping, and even some of her idiosyncrasies. I talked about her passion for her friends and family. Talked a little bit about her work, not too much, but I also did share some of her accomplishments. Of course, I also shared many of the things that we did together and some of the things that very few people knew, like she actually had a number of published articles. I also talked about a number of her noble acts of selflessness that she had done over the years. Now, of course, there was that big elephant in the room and that elephant in the room was people wanted to know what happened. So I did share some of her recent journey. Wrapping up, I summed up a number of the thoughts. Looking back, I shared about how Elaine had helped me become the person I am today and grateful to have been by her side for all those years. I tried to end on an upbeat note rather than a somber note. The tribute to the love of my life was a little on the longer side, but with the world in lockdown, many people were just sitting on Zoom listening to it and the service itself was quite shortened, and I knew that I had a little bit of extra time. Was it emotional? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But I have to give kudos, and I have to give gratefulness to my Toastmaster training. And of course, all the support from those who were there and those who were online. That really helped me through. Now, as a little humorous aside, <laughs> One of Elaine's cousins came up to me after the service with a smile and suggested, she said, what, you should speak to my husband about helping him with his speeches that he'll may have to give one day. Now, I smiled at that and it, it wasn't because of her praise, right? And that's something that this individual doesn't offer lightly. But I smiled because it gave me confirmation that I was able to accomplish giving her family and her friends and those in attendance what they wanted, and what they needed, if that actually makes sense. Now, this wasn't, in fact, my first eulogy. My first eulogy was my dad's in the early 2000s. That speech was probably the hardest I had ever done to date. But it was actually very different in the sense that, let's just say, my amygdala was working overtime. And it was probably the fear of the stage, the fear of getting up in front of people, that was probably worse than the grief that I was experiencing. I mean, my stomach was filled with this kaleidoscope of butterflies. No, we'll call it a, a swarm of butterflies because I had only been a Toastmaster at that point for a little while. But with my farewell to Elaine, the butterflies were less prominent. They were still there. But the truth is it was emotionally charged. And to date, it is still definitely the hardest speech I'd ever get. Now, following this again, as I promise, is the full audio recording of the eulogy. I truly hope that you do find it valuable. And I just want to say to all my listeners and all the people out there listening, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for listening. And I do appreciate all of you. Thank you all for coming, whether you're here in person or or virtually. I think as you could imagine over the last couple of weeks it's really been a roller coaster of emotions. 
the likes of which I have really never experienced before in my life. <sighs> my stomach churning, my mind racing, my heart beating, going a mile a minute, just trying to make a sense of all this. But at the same time, there was rays of sunshine as the sun came out today and moments of joy as I sat next to my wife Elaine, my best friend, my world, holding her hand, thinking about her and thinking about her and the life that we had together and some of the adventures that we embarked on. There were times where things were clear, other times things just very blurry as, as you can imagine what's, what's going through one's mind. And again, trying to make sense, trying to make sense of all this. But I also felt a certain warmth and comfort and, and reassurance of those who were important to Elaine, her friends, her family, and, and even the neighbors and people from across the country who reached out from even New Brunswick and say, hey, is there anything I can do to, to help in our time of need? My brother Earl here is, is been, has been my rock and my, my sister-in-law Molly has been in, in constant contact by phone and by text and by FaceTime. And when I mean in constant contact, I, I mean constant contact, if you know, if you know Molly. <laughs> helping us navigate, both of them helping us navigate through the uncharted waters. And of course, many thanks to the folks at the Cross and, and the intensive care unit that not only were taking care of Elaine, but also tried to make sure that, that we were okay. Last night as I laid awake in bed, I think I may have slept an hour or two, just thinking about things, trying to figure, about, figure, out, what to, figure out what to say. I'd actually jotted a number of things down over the last couple of days, knowing that at some point this would come, and I still wasn't sure. But I, I talked to some people, and they shared some stories about Elaine and things that she had done in the past, and some of which I'd, I'd never actually heard before. I, I realized at that moment that Elaine touched so many lives, but because she was so private, Sometimes people didn't know each other. In fact, two of her co-workers at, at the same company that she worked for for 18 years, I found out didn't know each other. So I realized that, that she was the common thread in this whole big puzzle. Now, some of you might be aware we embarked on a big rental recently. We didn't actually finish it. And so I thought what I would share today is I would give Elaine that big open house that she didn't get to have by opening up a little bit of my heart and sharing a thing about Elaine so that we can get all these puzzles put together. It was a car, it was a cold, dark January, January 10th, 27 years ago, when this, this beautiful Elaine just, she skated into my life and she's been the warmth of my heart and the love of my life ever since. It was, it was my dad's birthday, and of course, Elaine's mom, Esther, and my dad, Mo, were, were very close. And I guess Elaine was invited, and I was invited, and I, I didn't realize until Molly told me the other day that supposedly we got on the topic of, of skating. Now, we all know that Elaine is, was fairly shy and quiet and introverted, but yet a few days later, it might have been a week, I can't remember, my phone rang and said, you want to go skating? I wasn't sure if it was a date or just going skating, but 
we went and then we went to had a little Asian buffet afterwards and we talked and talked and talked and until they were shutting the lights and they said you have to leave and uh, it didn't take long she very quickly became my best friend and and stole my heart and of course the rest is history now there's some things you may not know about Elaine and you'll probably gasp at the next thing I'm going to tell you but Elaine had a twin all of a sudden there's silence. Yeah, she had a twin. If you remember the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, twins, yeah, Arnold, Danny. Well, my little brother Earl is a foot taller than Elaine and they actually shared the same birthday. And so for years they would refer themselves as, as twins. Elaine's stature certainly had, her, had its advantages. In fact, a couple weeks ago when the nurses were fixing up her bed, they say, Elaine, you got little feet. And so I recounted to them a story about how one time Elaine found these runners that she really wanted and they didn't have the right adult size. So they looked in the kids section and they found the exact same ones and they were $25 cheaper. So she bought two of them. <laughs> but yet on the other hand, her heart was <laughs> as big as a mountain and she, co she showed her kindness and her love and her passion and the way she did it. When, you, when I mention this, you might say, yeah. It was in the minute details that, that she always did. She paid attention to those details. She always was, was big on pleasing people, pleasing family, pleasing, pleasing friends, and pleasing everyone that, that she met. And if those of you have ever received a card or a gift from Elaine, you kind of wondered, wow, did she know? She knew exactly what I wanted because she would always, her analytical mind would say, is this what this person likes? Is this what this person gets? We'd sometimes be shopping and she'd say, oh, that's what'd be perfect for, for so-and-so. And I don't know whether she was a, a Girl Scout or not when she was little, younger, but she was always prepared. In fact, we have a spare bedroom that I think there's still a bed in there. I'm not really sure because it kind of looks like a papyrus store. It's got full of ribbons and wrapping paper and baby gifts, and it's got cards. It's got birthday cards. It's got Christmas cards. It's got bar mitzvah cards. It's got Hanukkah cards. It's got blank cards. Hundreds and hundreds of cards. And of course, with them shutting down recently, she added to that collection because she always really wanted to be prepared. And she was very giving. And one of her favorite charities was Canadian Tire Jumpstart. And she gave to... It was for the program that she was involved in was the one for younger ladies that young girls that were wanted to skate and have skates and have skating lessons. And I, I found out from Molly recently that as kids they skated a lot and they lived across from from a park. Now Elaine was not someone who had extravagant needs. Things had to be, of course, nice and classy and clean, and and it didn't have to be expensive. She loved to go to garage sales and. Antique, looking for antiques, and I remember her famous words as a garage sale, I'll, I'll just be a minute. <laughs> I'll just be a minute. She once found a dilapidated, believe it or not, camel saddle with straw and torn leather that she had modified into a footstool with, uh, with a cushion. She was a voracious reader. She loved reading books and magazines, and you might be surprised to know that her favorite magazines were House to Home and Architectural Digests really. Her favorite TV, Home and Garden Television, The Food Channel, CNN. And she was actually a, a news junkie. I loved her so much I actually sat through all of the presidential debates in about six hours of uh, Anderson Cooper and the likes after that. 
She, of course, loved Netflix like many of us do, foreign films and mysteries, and we would spend time talking about them and analyzing them, and she said, I told you I knew who the killer was. What made her happy were often little things, and even though we weren't kids, we, we still held hands. We liked going for coffee on White Avenue. We liked going for coffee with friends and family, and, and of course, she loved to, to swim. And then, of course, there was, there was her golden trio, Winners, Home Sense, and Marshalls. And, of course, she expanded that to include the Gap and Abercrombie. And during, of course, COVID, she expanded that to her online shopping experience. She often traveled to my conferences and conventions that I went to, whether they were Toastmasters or technology. And, of course, when she would go, she would be going out and scouting and finding things. And eventually, she got involved because one time we were in San Francisco and I was on assignment in addition to the conference, and she actually found out that Nordstrom's gave special things to if you were Canadian and you showed a passport. So she wrote about that, and she also wrote about a Victorian walk, and that was actually included in a center spread supplement in, a, in the, at the Edmonton Sun. Bet you didn't know that about her. She was also passionate about food, of course, uh, at home. She didn't just enjoy cooking and making regular meals. She, she loved to experiment and... Uh, you may not notice it now, but a little bit before, I was really good at being her guinea pig and also her, her cleanup person. And sometimes, Elaine, the cleanup would take extensively a lot longer than the took a time to, for the food to prepare. It's amazing where you can sometimes find tomato sauce after the fact. But she liked creating her own recipes. She took some of her mom's recipes, some of the cookbooks, and she would also like to create her own or she'd find stuff on the internet and then she'd modify them. I'll spare you the details on some of those, but she eventually started her own little blog and it's called consumergirl.com. There's only a few things that are, that are posted and she had a lot more than that. And she discovered this thing called cheese paper. Who knew? It was something that you wrapped cheese in a special coating that kept it fresh longer because she loved cheese. We had a lot of cheese. I used to call her a little rat sometimes. And she actually loved it so much she called the company and spoke to the to the owner, to the person who created the company, and she actually wrote an article about that. And she ate healthy, but yet she did love sour cream and onion chips and her, her Barbara's cheesies. And she's come a long way since the first time I went to her apartment, and then she had to go in the other room and call her mother because she didn't know how to brew coffee. <laughs> and she knew I liked coffee because she had had instant at that time. Yeah, And she eventually did teach me to cook and in fact, I can see her probably smiling, smiling right now. It's, it's not hard to remember her, her contagious smile, but forever emblazoned in my mind is her little grin. She had this little grin that she would make, and I would catch her doing something. I would say, what are you doing? What are you reading? What are you making? And she would say, go away. But she was so beautiful. In fact, Elaine very rarely wore, wore makeup. But yes, she didn't, never wanted to seem to have her pictures taken. Molly had asked me for some pictures, and I said, I only have a few, I don't have many. And if she was taking pictures, she would be wearing her, her sunglasses or her Ray-Bans, and she'd even turn the cameras off on, on Zoom. And a lot of what she did sort of stretched into her professional life. When I met her, she worked for the registrar's office at the university, where she made lots of friends there, and, and then she worked for the government assessing international credentials and one of her claims to fame was the fact that she caught a number of frauds, people trying to come into Canada with fraudulent documents. She eventually ended up at TELUS, where she was there for 18 years in Repair Answer. 
she worked on the escalation team. So that was when, you know, when the stuff hits the fan and the customers are upset and all mad, stuff goes higher up. She dealt with, she dealt with that. She dealt, was an acting manager. She worked on special projects. And in one year, her and her colleague Maggie saved the company a quarter million dollars by not having to have the truck sent out. She was also early involved in training, doing call centers that we have now around the world. So TELUS was involved in training in the Philippines. What's interesting is that she cared about her job, she cared about her customers, and she cared about people as if they were her friends and, and her family. She, she was quite an analytical problem solver. And that, of course, really carried over into her shopping. She was the queen of returns. In fact, how many of you here have had six couches in your home before you settled on the one that you were going to keep? After 18 years at TELUS, she decided to take an early retirement, but I kept her working a little bit. She would help me with my articles. She would do my, some of my editing and, 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 of course, give me feedback on my Toastmaster presentations and my professional presentations. And, of course, with Elaine, it was really no hold, hold barred, no holds barred with that. But sadly, two and a half years ago, Elaine was diagnosed with advanced breast cancer. And of course, being the private person that she was and the soul that she was, she didn't want to bother anybody. She didn't want to have anybody feel bad. She didn't want to have people feeling sorry for herself. So she, deci she decided that she was going to keep it to herself. And didn't she just told maybe just one or, or two people. And basically she said, you know what, we're going to go through every day as if it's just a regular day. And that was something that, that she did. And interestingly enough, her profile was such and her health was such, except for what she had, that she qualified for a clinical trial for an immunotherapy, which she was on for, for about two years. She was doing all right and things appeared to be working until it got to a point where the treatment was no longer, was no, the treatment was no longer working. It wasn't being as effective as it was. But interestingly enough, Interestingly enough, she was the longest on that particular trial as all the people on there. In fact, the oncologist called her the poster child, poster girl actually, for the trial. And in fact, because of her, she may be saving more lives because it looks like that trial was at phase two, that because of her results, that that trial is going to be going to, to phase three. But yet she was still determined to just keep, keep moving forward and she was still determined. She says, I'm gonna beat this. I'm just gonna keep going. In fact, she swam two to three times a week up until things were shut down for COVID. Now, interesting, after that two now, going back a little two and a half years, a few months after that, we embarked on a major renovation. So you can imagine, okay, diagnosis, embarked on a major renovation that included pretty much everything, including windows and doors, except the bedrooms, because we had to put some place somewhere. We even stayed for six weeks in, a, in an Airbnb. And Elaine being Elaine, she engaged, you know how Elaine likes to do things and analyze six different contractors to come in, give us quotes, give us biz. And she goes, this is not what I wanted. They just don't get it. She says, Greg, you know what? I'm going to do this myself and, and, and you're going to help me. And she did. We, we shared in the decision-making sort of. There were some things that she wanted that I didn't want and some things that I wanted that she didn't want. So let's just say I got about 10% of what I wanted. And the smile on her face, especially the day where she shows me a magazine and she says, look, my kitchen's the same as the one in the magazine. <laughs> but looking at her and talking at her, talking with her and, and being with her, you would never have known that was anything going on inside. Again, as I mentioned, she swam two to three times a week and still every two weeks or three weeks going for her tests, ongoing tests and ongoing treatments and everything that she had to go through. 
As I said earlier, she had to go on a different, she had to go on a different, a different treatment. She did have some moments of doubts, but again, unstoppable, continuing to swim and still willing to give and not thinking anything but trying to be the best self that she could. When they reopened the hospitals, I had to go for a double hernia operation in May. She refused to let anyone drive me because it was in Leduc, which is just outside of the city for those of you who are far away. She wouldn't let me take an Uber. She wouldn't let anybody drive me. She drove me that morning and she sat in the car for eight hours, only just going to the Circle K to go to the washroom. I mean, that's how dedicated she was, even though she was in the situation that she was at. She seemed stable for the longest time and then something just recently just happened. Something went the wrong way and despite her strong determination and my love, she ran into complications that she just couldn't overcome. So yesterday, I was by her side, holding her hand, talking to her, reaffirming that her family and friends all love her. My brother was there. Molly was on FaceTime and Jason and Tanya, our niece and nephew, were on the phone talking to her and asked me to give her a big kiss. I gave her a big kiss for everyone and all her friends and family. And I said to her, I said, my love, I said, everything is going to be okay. Okay, everyone's fine. I'm fine. Of course, she was always worried that I wasn't eating properly or eating properly enough. And I said, I understand. Okay. If, if, you, if you have to go, it's okay. Everyone is going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And I held her hand and I sang to her, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when my skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. When I look back over the years, and I'm, I'm having trouble remembering things, and, but I do know that when we started, we started out together, I think both of us were, I think we were on paths where we were both a little lost. And I think together that, combined with each other's, our strengths and, and some of our flaws, and boy, do we have some of those, we helped each other to catch our second wind. Sometimes there was a, some trial and error. Okay, a lot of trial and error. But we got through the challenges. We, we made it through the passing of, of, of my dad and, and her mom just a couple of years apart. But we always seem to get back on, on track. But with the love that we have for each other, we grew together. We helped build each other's confidences. And I have to, Elaine made me the person that I am today. And I'm the lucky, luckiest guy in the world. That she she picked me. <laughs> She's part of me and always will be the sunshine of my life. And I know that the next time I I go grocery shopping, I'll, I'll hear her voice saying, "Do we do we really need that, Greg? Is there a lot of sodium in it? 
is it organic? And instead of saying, Elaine, enough already, which of course a lot of us know here that that was something that her mother would say to her all the time, I'm going to say, you're right. Elaine, I love you forever. <laughs> Thank you for coming. <laughs> Not only has this been the hardest speech I had ever given, it's probably the most difficult podcast I've ever made. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time.